Hi everyone, I'm Ryan Hun. Welcome to this bonus edition of the Stadio podcast where Musa Okwonga and I went to visit Gary Lineker to interview him about the art of finishing, his time at Barcelona, working with Bobby Robson, Johan Cruyff. He also spoke about his admiration for Lionel Messi, loads of stuff. I just wanted to give a quick shout to anyone who's new to Stadio or who listens to us on Apple Podcasts. Please give us a rating and a review. It really helps us grow the podcast. Right, enough from me. Now it's time for The Art of Finishing with Gary Lineker. Special edition of the Stadio podcast. I'm Musa Kwonga. I'm Ryan Han. And I am uh, Gary Lineker. Oh, thank you so much for having us, Gary. We are Pleasure. broadcasting from an undisclosed location and we're here to talk to Gary about the art of finishing mm. uh, because apparently, in a previous life, I've you, finished a bit a long you're time ago. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, now finish, finish. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, we're just, we're really just going to talk about the art of putting it in the net. And I just kind of want to jump in, really. You're known to be someone that downplays your ability. But one of the key strengths I think you have is you are self-aware and it was your determination. So when what point in your life did you first realise I'm good enough to actually go and do this at a very high level? Um, I think just after t- um, in Mexico World Cup. <laughs> I know you think I'm joking. I know you think I I'm do, joking, but that's actually true. Um, I, was kind of, I wasn't I was a child star. I wasn't a Rooney or an Owen or, you know, one of those kind of players. I kind of was tiny when I was young and size was always looked like it might work against me, but I started growing when I was 17 and then I was kind of a gradual developer. I didn't have an unbelievable technique. Um, I worked hard at my game. I, every level I got to, and I've said this, I've, I've said this before, every level I got to kind of surprised me that the fact that I managed to still score goals when I went to the youth team, into the reserve team at Leicester, and I'm sitting alongside, you know, players that I've kind of watched play. And I thought this would find me out and still scored. And then I eventually got on the Leicester first team when I was 18, 19. And I was only in playing occasionally and they stuck me on the right wing um, because obviously they saw something in me, but they couldn't get me up front. But I'd never played there before and I was fairly useless. Um, so I kept thinking that, that I'm, I'm sitting alongside and playing with some of my heroes because I was a big Leicester fan and I, I just thought, nah, this is, you know. But I managed to kind of score the odd goal and then they eventually gave me a chance up front and, and I kept scoring. And then I remember getting a call up. I was I was 24. I wasn't, you know, when I first played. That's, yeah, that's quite. When I was first called up for him, I was nearly 25 by the time I actually made my debut. I was... You know, I was at I was at home. It was a Monday afternoon, and the phone rang. The old landlines that we used to have, and it was Gordon Melton. And he said, um, "Come to the club, pack yourself a toothbrush, get, come and pick your boots <laughs> up, and get yourself up to Rex and Bobby Robson's been on the phone." And 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 then I'm thinking, I'm dri- I remember dri- I never forget driving up terrified, and thinking, "What? How's this happened?" And I and I arrived in Wrexham, and there was like some of my heroes walking out. You know. Players like Peter Shilton and Tony Woodcock, I remember, and um, Trevor Francis and all these people. Yeah, yeah. going, what, 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 am I doing in the, what am I doing in this company? And um, But then, I, whatever level it was, I managed to keep, keep, keep scoring up. the same amount of goals. Well, what's weird is, I mean, because Ian Wright was a late starter as yeah, well. And yeah. I just wonder if that's more a comment on 
Are they scouting or the eye for talent? Or I mean, maybe before the age of social yeah. media, so things didn't go viral. Well, I, I don't, don't know. I think what, what some of us mature later, so we did it for different reasons. Physicality was important for me. I didn't reach puberty until I was 17, which was a bit embarrassing in the showers. <laughs> 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 As a professional football player, I used to hide in the corner. Like, um, and I started growing when I was 17 and filled. I put three stone on in, a, in like six months when I was about 18. Um, so was, then I had to get used to that. And then, so it was, it was a gradual thing. I don't think I was, I was born with a lot of strengths, but I wasn't the most naturally gifted technical footballer. Um, and of course, in those days, we used to play on pitches that made that even more difficult. Um, so it, no, it was genuinely that I, you know, wanted it. I, yeah. The desire was there. Right. Um, the desire was huge. And, but the actual belief which surprises people because you always think, oh, you must have incredible belief. Of course, yeah, yeah. To, to make it all the way. Yeah. Um, but that's not necessarily the case. One thing I want to talk about as well, because Bobby Robson's a big mm. part of that. So he obviously saw you and thought you were ready. Um, and Ryan, obviously, is someone that yeah. we'll get into that at another point, um, who really cares about Bobby Robson, has a sort of yeah. maybe a closer personal connection to him. Not literally. Not, so, not, no, 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 but you want, you My granddad was a Fulham fan and they yeah. were very similar ages no, and Bobby died was. at very similar times. Yeah. Was, he, Bobby was the first football person that my granddad and I really bonded on. Yeah. yeah I mean, yeah, like yeah. a first person that was current that we shared mm. a real lover. And it, I feel like you and Bobby Robson have a similar trajectory because you both had this great journey through a lot of England's traditional great clubs yeah. and overseas as well, you know, both the Barcelona connection. But you both had this kind of affair with destiny in those two World Cups. Mm. What was it like to work with him, um, at, you know, as an England manager, but also as a human being? As like? a human being, he was he was great. Because we don't really hear these. No, these, no I mean, he was it was just a lovely, lovely man. And what what comes over more than anything with Bobby was this incredible enthusiasm he had, not just for football, mm. but for life, but for all things. I remember I did a documentary with him about towards his towards the end of his life, and we he took me to St James's Park and he walked me around. He gave me a tour. And he took about three hours and he was talking about every door. You see the wood on this door. It's like, and he was like one of those people that just loved life and loved things in life. And, and he was, he was great. He, he wasn't the most amazing coach in the world. I mean, he was a brilliant man manager. Mm. You'd run through a wall for him. Um, tactically, he was fine. Um, no Guardiola or, you know, he didn't right. change the game in any way, shape or form in that sense. But you wanted to play for him. How did he make you do that? What did he? Was it like? It was just his passion. Like I think. an uncle, it was, or like it was, a... It's a little bit that way, and he, he, you know, he knew when to. You needed a little bit of a, you know, kick up the arse, right. and he knew that when you needed an arm around the shoulder, and he, he just his man management skills, which I think is probably the probably just about the most important thing, because obviously most of these guys understand the game. They can play already, and right? they can play. They've been there. They understand it. But it, but it's a totally different skill going from being a footballer to actually managing people. Mm. Uh, it's a totally different skill, and he was he was good at it. And his whole career shows you, that, you know, right, right from when he started, um, and then it's Ipswich. Obviously, he did brilliantly well, and then with England, he was, you know, despite getting rubbished on occasions, but he, each time he pulled it through. In the two World Cups, obviously, didn't win one, but we got mightily close. And um, he, he he was a lovely man, and he was he had his idiosyncrasies. You know, he, he, with every all of us have got our favourite Bobby Robson stories where he kind of messes up someone's name or gets <laughs> a bit muddled about something, but that was part of the charm. Right, right. In many ways. And um, he was he was a great guy, great guy. You said about how good a man manager he was. I think that's probably why he managed to 
be so successful in multiple countries. I think back then it was a lot harder for English managers to do that, surely. Yeah. You know? I think it was, and it just shows you how good he was. I mean, the fact yeah. that he did it, you know, he did it in Portugal, did it in Spain. Did, mm. Same with Roy Hodgson. I kind of always stick yeah. up for Roy as well. I think at the time when they coached abroad, yeah. not not an easy thing to do. No, it's, yeah. no, it's not. It's really difficult, especially with the you know language difficulties and stuff like that. But one thing would that would always have come through with with Bobby, wherever he was, whether he could speak a word of the language or not, mm-hmm. would be his enthusiasm and his mm-hmm. passion for, for football and life. And how did your relationship develop? Because it always, in those two World Cups, I mean, I was a little bit too young for 86. Yeah, so was I. <laughs> <laughs> Weren't we all? Um, but by 90, yeah. it really seemed that you two were, I don't want to use a massive cliche yeah. and say father and son, but he, it, no, seemed, it, well, it seemed No, very, we didn't have that kind close. of relationship. Um, it, it was just someone I massively respected. He was fiercely loyal to me, and that was one of his great strengths, actually, the fact that he, he could recognise players, top players. Mm. I mean, most people can, but he, he, could, he was never easily influenced by outside influencers. Like the press, for example, mm. you, you automatically, you see it now, Harry Kane goes two games without a goal. Oh, it's time. What's wrong with Harry Kane? He's finished. Get someone out. Ridiculous comments. And, and the press in that sense, don't, they're unanswerable, you see. They don't have to, in two months' time, when Harry Kane's banging the goals in, as we know he already will, they don't have to come back and say, oh, I'm really sorry, I got it wrong. They don't do that. In the punditry world, we do that because we're a bit more answerable. But Bobby was fiercely loyal. He understood top players and he understood the fact that actually world-class players, there ain't that many in every country. Yeah, there, yeah. there aren't. But he would never be pushed into dropping a player. I had, obviously, for me, in 86, we went the first two games. Um, we lost to Portugal 1-0 and then we lost. Then we drew to Morocco 0-0. Uh, with, uh, Ray Wilkins got sent off. Brian Robson um, dislocated his shoulder again. He was out of the World Cup. And I'd gone about five, six games for England without a goal at that stage. And I thought, I'm, I'm toast. He's going to leave me out. Because I knew he had to make changes. And he made four changes. And he, he, he dropped Mark Haitley rather than me. And he put Beardsley in. And it was the start of a wonderful relationship um, that, that we had. And we just, we just gelled. Um, but the fact that he was stuck by me, Bobby. And he was obviously he was proved to be right because I'd banged in a few goals. And we, and it was great, but but that was the strength of man. He couldn't be swayed. Mm. He was never easily swayed, and he was very strong in his mind, and fiercely loyal as well as n- knowing a footballer. Yeah. Look at the teams he's built. Look at Ipswich, the players he brought in. Mm. You know, he really had an eye for and completely players. different teams as well. Yeah, and recruitment is vital in football. You know, people talk about managers and this and that and the owners and stuff. But take Manchester United for example. They've banged loads of money into yeah. that football club in, in recent times, but the recruitment's not been good. You know, that happens. It's, it's, it's cyclical football. Mm-hmm. We've seen it a little bit maybe now with Arsenal, especially clubs that have, have perhaps been dominated by a certain presence over two decades, like mm-hmm. Wenger and, and mm-hmm. Ferguson. It was always going to be like that. So football is cyclical. Um, so recruitment is vital, and it, that was one of his great strengths, that he could spot a footballer. Talking of spotting footballers, so I was trying yeah. to... Uh, recently on YouTube sort of spot the key characteristics of your game and the name I kept thinking of watching your old highlights was Hernan Crespo like yeah, watching Hernan, your yeah, Crespo's, the range yeah. of goals that you scored mm. were very similar like you know the kind of close in yeah. never any more than 18 yards out but just within the box it was the anticipation I thought mm. and Crespo's first touch and finish and he, mm. he took the ball very early that seems to be a key feature of your play what was it that made you do that so often do you think? I, I think practice learning thinking a lot of thinking, yeah. Uh, but particularly with goal scoring, 
obviously a lot of it be, became naturally instinct. Right, yeah, it's of course. Not so much instinct, but and, and I kind of worked out how to score goals, particularly, and, and this is probably one of the reasons why I wasn't a child star. Things came to me gradually. Yeah. So I wasn't, you know, I wasn't a player that could beat three players and knock it in the corner. So I had to work out ways of scoring goals. In my early days, with my pace, um, it, I could spin people and turn. And I was always looking to get behind defenders and get behind the goals. Yeah. So I always used to attack the space in the box. And I kind of used to think about how to score goals. And it, and particularly when I went to Barcelona, because at that stage, they used to, lots of teams used to play sweeper, deep line fella, which kind of screwed me up a little bit because <laughs> I used to think, I used to hate playing against that. You get like a man to man on you and then you, then you'd spin him and all of, oh, what's he doing back there? 30 yards <laughs> on the edge of his own box, which you don't get now. And it actually doesn't really work given its longevity. It's kind of petered out. Um, so I had to work out different ways. And mo- most of my goals after the early days when I used to do a lot of one, one-on-ones, and there were still one-on-ones, of course, and that was one of my great strengths. I could. It's weird. I couldn't dribble past you now, but you one-on-one with a goalkeeper. <laughs> well, yeah, probably. You could. That, 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 we ran for a bus the other day in Berlin. You I could. probably could. Yeah, that, that was uncalled for, right? Sorry, sorry. Can, can you cut this out? I could go around a goalkeeper for... for it, it, Weird, I just, you know, so it was a different skill, but one-on-ones I was scored. So I worked, then I started thinking about the game, and, I was, and people used to say, oh, it's an instinct thing. Now, there's a degree of truth in that, but it's not really. It's, no, it's about not. finding space, and yeah. it's about gambling. It's Basically, it's about gambling on where you think the ball might go, whether it's from a wide position. So the majority of, and I still to this day don't really understand why more people don't work it out, and it doesn't seem that you can actually tell them either. <laughs> um, but basically, you, before the ball's crossed, you, you make one little run one way and then you go the other. Now, we all know that. We've all seen players do that. But most players do that after the ball's been crossed or just as hit it. The secret is to do it like a second before the guy crosses the ball. So basically, you move one way and then you attack. Generally, with me, it was the near post because I preferred that. So I'd, I'd take the defender that was marking me slightly one way and then accelerate at a space. Now, that space is six yards out, near post. And if you gamble on where the ball's going to go, you're going to be ahead of the defender. So... Nine times out of 10, 19 times out of 20, 99 times out of 100, the ball will go nowhere near you. It'll go over your head, it'll go behind the goal, he'll drag it back, he'll miss, he'll, he won't get it past the first man, whatever. But on the one time that you gamble on that spot, that he hits the ball in that spot, you've got to tap in. And then people go, there you go, you see, did nothing all game. He was in the right place at the right time. The truth is you've made a million runs that no one's ever seen. Right. And you've done it over and over and over again. And then in the 85th minute, you might get the, the ball will go actually where you hoped it would go. And the defender is still behind you and you get a tap in. And that is the secret of, of scoring goals. It's about finding space in the box and attacking that space and gambling on that space. Simple. What for you did you find, was it physically more exhausting playing football or mentally because of the decisions you were making? Um, I, I, I always struggled with stamina. So I would say physically. <laughs> um, I, no, genuinely, I was always last in cross countries and all that kind of stuff. Stick me in a 100 metre race, I'll beat everyone. You can do six of those on a bounce and I was good. Mm. But if you, if you started talking about like stamina... I mean, I see other players similar to me. Like, you know, I, I look at Aguero and I see, I see a bit of me. I see a better version of me, but I see a bit of me. And, and so stamina was my thing. So it's hard. So I, you know, I had to train pretty hard and that. But 
you know, those but sprinting wise, I could you know do it repetitive, repetitive over and over again. So, um, but yeah, stamina. But the mental side of it. Mental like, side, I was like, always strong. Mental side, I think that I think that's a natural thing. Mm. I think because and it's also hugely important, mm. especially for a striker where you're under more pressure than anyone with possible exception of goalkeepers. But yeah, that's a game in its own. Um, but mental strength is vital. Um, and that is that I felt my mental strength was my greatest strength yeah. because I could deal with missing chances. Mm. I could deal with getting pelters from the press or the public or the fans. Um, and I, it never bothered me. I never got nervous. I never got nervous in any game I ever played. And if I'd scored four, gone four or five games without a goal, it didn't worry me either. I just kept thinking, just. Do the right things, and it'll. it'll you can't learn that, though. I mean, because like, you're playing in front of tens of thousands of people. No, you can't. I don't think you can, and I think that's why people say, "Well, you know." And I've thought about myself lots of times in the sense that, why did it happen to me? Why? Why did I have this career? And other players, I wasn't the best player in my Sunday league team when I was a kid. That's nuts. But why did it happen for me? Obviously, dedication. But loads of players have that speed. That was important. Speed of thought was important. Um, that's but mental the, strength, I think, having that not only desire but the ability to cope with pressure. And the bigger the pressure, the better I cope. Because we can't, we don't, we don't understand it. No. Sorry to jump in, I mean, but people look to play in front of yeah. 20, 30, 40, you know, 80,000 people and then be shouting all manner of things. Yeah. That is for the, even for the top 10% of footballers, that is not a normal. Yeah thing to encounter so you would go out there and just kind of absorb it right it was a that's buzz. A... I struggled when there was no one watching oh see I struggle when we've got 20 Berliners watching us play on a Sunday so yeah. it's like what they sh- there's no way, quicker way to learn German than getting someone the shouting the thing is if there's only 20 people there though, you, <laughs> you hear, hear every everything. comment <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah did you I'm, find did you kind of did you, you say you kind of you can't teach that but did you find that maybe as you I don't want to say chipped away but each yeah. pro bit of your career like for example the thing I think of is when you got relegated with Leicester, not meant to bring it up, but then yeah. you you were top goal scorer in Division Two, and then yeah. season after top goal scorer in Division One. Yeah, that kind of doesn't really happen now. Yeah, maybe I'd like have that. been spotted quicker then, but there's the recruitment things and been bought. But I think but I don't know. Like things like that kind of does that add to it? Like so, if you've already got this kind of base level mental strength, I think, I think the fact that the, the the matter that we talked about earlier that, that my development was relatively mm. late, mm. I don't think that was a bad thing. I think it, I, I'd reached, you know, stardom levels, if we want to call it yeah, that. Yeah, of course, yeah. With when I, you know, obviously the Mexico 86 and Golden Boots and stuff. But by that stage, I was a, I was relative mature. Yeah. Le- well, by footballing standards, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was 24, 20, I was 25. Yeah. So I'd kind of could deal with it. Yeah. Dealing with that at 18, 19, 20 is, is another, it's not easy at 25, but dealing with it at as a teenager mm. with all of that fanfare. yeah and it could be much more difficult so I don't know whether things would have been different yeah. if it were that way but I I do think my slow development was was probably a plus mm. in many ways one of the things that you see sorry to I keep, I keep jumping in when he puts his hand up <laughs> Russell Moore is talking so. <laughs> um, one of the things you see a lot of or you do, not necessarily explicitly see ex-players say but you, they kind of allude to the fact that they think that they'd love to play now because they think it'd be yeah easier yeah. but I think oh, no, I really no it would be a different matter because obviously things like social media weren't around exactly. and the, the, the intrusion into I mean there's always an intrusion into private life you used to be hunted mm. down but 
be different now because everyone's got a phone. But you'd you'd have to, you know, you, that would register, and you would mm-hmm. have to, you'd just have to think a bit about things. Why? Well, when I say the game's easier now, I, I don't really mean that. What I what I'm saying is that there are the law changes that yeah. have made the game better for strikers. Yeah, and. Most importantly, and the only thing that I'm envious of now of the modern footballer, and that's not money, is the playing surface. I knew you were going to say that, yeah. Because, my goodness, they're so beautiful. They are nice. Though. How could you miscontrol? I remember the ball used to get centre halves and have the ball, and they knock it into you, and it's like bouncing all yeah. over the place, and then it's like rolling in, then it hits a divot, hits you in the chest, and somebody on the bench is shouting, hold it up, hold it up. Can we hold it up? Try holding it up. But now, you, now you've got no excuses, I yeah. suppose, but at the same time, it's, I mean, that's, the players, you can just pass the ball. You, that's why you can play this game. And that's why the game shifted in terms of building out from the back and, and the Pep Guardiola game with the goalkeeper knocking it to his own players in the box. And, and everyone's pretty much following suit with that. But you couldn't have done. You right. couldn't have done that. Well, not on those pitches. The keeper rolls it out to the floor. <laughs> terrifying. We were watching. We were watching this old Ian Wright DVD the other day. Even like Highbury, like Highbury was renowned for having such a beautiful playing surface. Uh, Highbury was, really wasn't. No, that. Highbury was one of the the better ones. There was the forest was really good, but these compared with now. They called the San Siro potato patch. Yeah. That's how bad it was. Yeah. And that was with that team, that great, you know. Yeah, I know. It was like they were spending money on everything in the stadium apart from the pitch, which yeah. is wild. But they didn't have the technology that they have now. That's the difference. Obviously, yeah, now course. they know how to do it and every pitch is gorgeous. Yeah. Oh, God, I'm so... I just... I often think... I, I, I walk out because obviously I do a lot of TV and a lot of live games, particularly with the Champions Leagues. And we go to a lot of the best stadiums and every time we normally have to walk around the pitch to somewhere to get to our studio. And I just look at the pitches and I just go, oh, oh, to play on those. (laughs) Imagine the ball whizzing across the box. How could you miss? It's so clear. You could never miss. Actually, here's a question to about today's game. If you were playing today... Mm. Which team would you most enjoy playing for? Where do you see your, your playing style would fit most easily into? Uh, um, probably the Aguero role at Man City would, I think, work quite well. Do you know what, The reason I think that's interesting is yeah. because, you know when you play for Spurs, you know how all those playmakes like Sam Ways and yeah. they push the play wow. so high up the pitch. Sideways. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to get in there. But they push the play so up the pitch yeah. that like your job became constrained in a very useful way to like look everyone else is doing the wide mm. stuff you're just here well yeah, yeah. A, and that's still an obvious role right. I mean you could say someone like Firmino at, at Liverpool but he's, he's a little bit different because he drops deep withdrawn yeah. And yeah more withdrawn role so it wouldn't necessarily but even then I'd you know I could no, yeah, because I mean, look at the look at the balls they're getting from wide areas. At City, you've got you not only got Sterling and De Bruyne, you've got you know Bernardo Silva and so many great players that just thread little balls through. Gotta be a striker's dream. They have like six number tens. I know. Don't they? It's I, 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 if if I didn't score thirty league goals a season right. playing for them, I would be very disappointed. Yeah, and that's fair, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, I mean. Not that many it's a, score that many, but it's a buffet, isn't it? It's a yeah, buffet. Yeah, but then you know we say Aguero, but he he does rotate quite a lot. I wouldn't like that. I would hate that. I mean, that's uh, the thing. I don't know how you out, I want to play every game. <laughs> like, but, but you know, it's weird, isn't it, with the rotation? Because but the very best players do nearly always play, don't they? Yeah, exactly. Like Sterling always plays now. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He's Salah always plays. Everyone's now. got their Mane guy. always plays now. Right. But I suppose with Aguero, he's obviously you know he's, he's in his thirties now, so he's he's just. Giving Jesus a few. He keeps giving it one more season, though, isn't it? And they do play a lot of games.
actually wanted to ask about Spain because um, yeah. So you score this hat trick in the Classico, which we'll get to in a bit. But I was watching I your like four not goals. I don't like to mention it. I don't like to mention it. Really, I'm nervous. I shall retire. I'd be dining out on that for the rest of all. You don't just walk into place and go, oh, I scored a hat trick in the Classico. Just, <laughs> just, just hold up. Only this. once a week. <laughs> but your relationship with Barcelona, like, is it, I mean, do you go back there often? Yeah. They, yeah, they, yeah they, I go they back well. two or three times a year. I've got a lovely relationship with the football club. They look after me great. They, you know, that, it's, it's nice that, you know, obviously you have to be of a certain age to actually remember the fact that I was there. You know, young Barcelona fans haven't, haven't really got a clue. Mm. Um, but people of my generation, they, you know, they treat me lovely. And they, they always have done. And I have a lovely relationship with that club. Because I want to, the, the one thing in terms of relationship, I mean, the Classico hat-trick is the obvious one. But, so you scored these four goals against Spain for England in the, the 40 yeah. win. In like an hour, basically, no, no flies know, on you. It's just mad. I remember. But, I remember after the, 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 I think the third or the fourth one. I'm running back to halfway line with Brian Robson, and, and I remember because it was a stage where I couldn't see. It was a month after I'd scored the hat trick in the Clasico. It was a few months after I won the Golden Boot, and I remember running back with Brian Robson and going. Why am I so lucky? <laughs> and he went, "Oh fuck off!" <laughs> <laughs> it's called a podcast. That. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I was thinking because I was like, "That's in the Bernabeu, right?" So you've done that. Mm. So how does that affect your status with the bar? Because you oh, did that. It was great. There. It was right. great because what you remember as well because I was in Barcelona at the time. Yeah, I right, actually exactly. flew to Madrid with like the Barcelona players that were in the Spanish team, which is probably about half a dozen of them. Yeah. So even in those days, there's a bit of banter, you know, yeah. because we're, oh, we're going to beat you and all this stuff. But, so we, we we arrived there, and obviously Terry Venables was the coach at the time. And, um, you know, Terry's Spanish was was pretty good, but at the same time, he did use the odd English phrase, which they might pick up anyway. So we get to the game, we play, we, we play the match, freezing cold, weren't that many people watching, actually. The weather was awful. And and as, as, we, as we know, I scored four goals and we beat them 4-2. And at the end of the game, the, the Spanish keeper was Zubizarreta, who obviously played for Barcelona. A lovely guy. And um, he came into the, our England dressing room and he walked over to me and in a perfect Cockney accent, he went, fucking hell. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, was, it was hilarious. So, yeah, so I, I kind of, on the banter, and the other thing with people saying, oh, wow. I couldn't have gone down that well in Barcelona. The headline in the local paper the next day um, in Barcelona, the, the paper was called Sport, was um, Catalan player scores four against Spain. So they wow. So it was quite... They that's were quite amazing. Wow. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. That's it's as I'd imagine it because that kind of internal rivalry mm-hmm. is so great. Exactly. Sorry to maybe come out with a really, really obvious question, but what happens when you find that out that they've come in for you? So it was a really strange one because they kind of was a. I got called in right at the end of the season after I think it was after the FA Cup, but before going to the World Cup with Howard Kendall, and Howard pulled me into the office and he said, "We've got a bit of interest from Barcelona." I went, "And?" And he went, mm. "He said, I'm not sure." He said, "The thing is, he said if you know, I'd, I'd feel." a bit reluctant about stopping a player going to join a club like that. And I thought, oh, that's a bit weird. All right. And then he went there and it was, he said, but anyway, just thought I'd tell you. I went, okay, fine. Um, and then he went, then we went to the World Cup. Nothing else had happened, heard nothing. And before the World Cup, I spoke to my agent, John Holmes, who's still my agent to this day. And he, I said, he said, what about Barcelona? If there's anything? I said, well, 
I said, don't bother me joining the World Cup. It's too important. You know, not that you could... Anyway, we didn't have mobile phones in those days. You're only mm. allowed to make one phone call a week from the hotel in, in Mexico. That's how things had changed. And that was from reception. <laughs> so so he said, OK, I won't bother you. So anyway, World Cup starts. I had the bad first two games, didn't score. Um, everything was quiet. Scored three against... Scored three against um, Poland and then two against Paraguay. And all of a sudden, I'm top scoring the World Cup, blah, blah, blah. And, that, and we're in the hotel. And the reception comes, a phone call for Mr. Lineker. I said, oh, OK. So go to reception. <laughs> it's true on the old landline. Crackly phone. It's, and it's, it's Holmesy. It's, it's John, he said, um, he, said, I've had, he, said, I've, he said, I've been on and on about whether to call you about this. He says, but I, I, I think I have to. He said, because Barcelona have come on. And he said, they want you. Um, he said, but they want you to agree now and do the deal now. Otherwise, they're going to go for someone else. I said, John, I said, this is too important. This is this is a World Cup for England. I said, if they want me now, they'll want me at the end of the World Cup. So just call them. He said, I, I was hoping that's what you'd say. He said, but I felt it was my duty to actually tell you that was the situation. So, so it was kind of a strange experience. And then obviously, as soon as the World Cup ended... We, I remember meeting at I think it was at the Connaught. Um, it was it was kind of strange because because it was all cloaked down real secrecy, and they got this room hired at the back, and the vice president of Barcelona was there, Howard Kendall was there, Terry Venables was there. Um, there were a couple of other people, my agent, me, obviously, and we're all sitting around, and the brother they did the deal, and listen, keep this very quiet, blah blah blah. Okay, oh, the president wants to speak to you. Didn't speak a word of English, and at that stage, I didn't speak a word of Spanish. <laughs> yes, welcome, thank you. Yeah, oh, gracias, gracias, gracias. Yeah. <laughs> okay, deal's done. So, so then they're all going right. We'll keep this secret for a couple of days, and they booked it. Then they booked a table in the main main restaurant of the hotel downstairs, <laughs> table for ten, and there's like a hundred people in there. I see. What? <laughs> it was really weird, but no, it was exciting. It was a you know point in my life. I didn't expect to go at that stage. I'd had one year at Everton. It was a wonderful year. It was the best actual club side I'd played for. In an ideal world, it could have happened a couple of years later because I'd have won stuff with Everton. I'd have won cups and leagues for sure. Um, but at the same time, you couldn't play in Europe. England clubs were yeah. banned from Europe, so yeah. you know it, it was. It, it sounds like it should be a really easy decision to leave, but it actually wasn't. I think, but, yeah, it's, yeah. Well, it's not the Barcelona of now. No, no. It was, and it, there was a Barcelona, t- Barcelona team at that time was was in transition, yeah. you know, from the great side that when Venables won the league and stuff, and then a couple of players got injured and a couple of players got old, and um, and he, he, it was turning it round. But it was great club. Great. Actually, maybe sticking on Barca so we don't jump around. We tend to jump around so much on yeah, the podcast, so yeah. maybe we should keep jumping it in check around. for this. That's our brand. Jumping jumping around. Around. So, obviously, when Johan Cruyff comes in, I suppose I want to phrase this in a very specific mm. way because I don't want to get you to say something you've probably said a million times, but obviously because you would have grown up at a time when he was the yeah. greatest oh, around. He was an unbelievable footballer. And he, and was it, still, he was the best player in training every day. Is, <laughs> is he was, he was unbelievable. Well, what was it like having him come in yeah. with your relationship with him from afar, like as a fan? And then obviously what happened when yeah. it kind of, you didn't quite fit into the way that he wanted to play. And was that really it hard? Was a difficult, was it? it was a really difficult year. I mean, it started with me getting, I had hepatitis in the, in the Euros in 88, which... It was very debilitating, and mm. and I was out for about four months. 
So I didn't have, when he came in at the start of the season, I didn't have any kind of relationship. There was no pre-season. I was in hospital for a couple of weeks and then I was trying in recovery. And then gradually I started to do a little bit of training. So I didn't actually play in the team, fit to play until kind of mid to late October, early November. I didn't realise it was like that. Yeah. Um, so I was out for quite a while. Also in those days, you're only allowed two foreign players. Mm. So if you were a foreign coach like Johan Cruyff coming in, the chances are you want your own two foreign players that you brought, not ones that you've you've inherited from from a previous incumbent um, like Terry Venables. So I understood those kind of things. But what was the most frustrating? I mean, I got on fine with him in many ways. He's he's a very complex individual, a brilliant coach. I mean, it, it, all all the stuff we're seeing from Barcelona, the Pep Guardiola stuff, kind of came mm. from Cruyff and that total Dutch football mm. of, of way back when. He was fascinating how his training was making the pitch bigger and exactly the same things we see with Guardiola now. So it was it was a great learning curve, but it was so frustrating because yeah. it was obvious from the very go that I wasn't going to be in his plans. I, I sussed it early. He played me on the right wing. He never played me up front. The system was like the one that City play now in many ways. Mm. So for me, that Aguero role we talked about earlier, it would have been perfect for me. Right. And and whilst I understood what he was doing, he basically was trying to piss me off so that I'd, I'd kick up a fuss and then the fans wouldn't, would turn against me and he could justify selling me. But I was quite popular at Barcelona because I'd always done really well against Real Madrid. I'd scored a hat-trick against them and the winners in two other games. So the fans kind of got on my side. So I didn't need to do that. I was not mm. stupid enough. I just thought, right, be professional. If he wants to play on the right wing every week, I'll play on the right wing. I mean, to be honest, it's easy being a winger compared with playing up front you get that you face you know you face the play you run down the wing you cross it it ain't it ain't you know I know how to cross a ball because I know how I like a ball crossed so but for me it was boring mm. because playing his system although they play much narrower now with Pep's kind of style but his way of playing was one centre forward and the two wingers I mean you had white. you had the white yeah. stuff on your boots he didn't like you coming off that line so I'd never, I never I think I only scored Hardly any goals that season. I never played up front where he's played Julio Salinas there. He was a good goal scorer. He was a good goal scorer. But I'd have, I'd, I'd have scored bucket, bucket full. Salinas was more of a point yeah. man though. Rather Salinas, than yeah, he player. was a big guy. He was a hold-up player. And he was, I mean, he was a good foot and a great lad. Very funny. But, you know, it was so frustrating playing on that wing. And I kind of kept it to myself all season. But obviously by the end of it, I had to go. I just wish he'd come up to me at the start of the season and said, listen, Gary, we, I kind of like my own foreign players we're only allowed to and we'll get you a good move and we'll look after you and it's fine and we'll all leave and we'll he didn't leave. want that problem though no, you don't can see. like that because what it is that negotiating position isn't it if they say to you we want you out then you're in a strong position to negotiate yeah. a deal where else you go but come on we're grown ups it's a shame fans, to loop yeah. back to someone you were talking about earlier like Bobby Robson you were saying maybe tactically not the, the his biggest yeah. strength but man management wise and, yeah. I, and I we've kind of said this before about how there's very few managers that have both that are yeah. uh, maybe as good of a man manager yeah. or as maybe empath- empathetic as Bobby, yeah. but also with the tactical now, so yeah. like Guardiola or, or, yeah. or, or Cruyff. You can see it with Klopp and you can see it with Guardiola. You know, they're, they're, it's, they're almost fanatical. Mm. And, I mean, they're hugely entertaining, but and, and they can, you know, you can see they can lose it. Mm. Yeah. And, and Cruyff, he didn't seem open displays of, of temper very often. Um, he was kind of more methodical, but um, he knew what he wanted. Um, and he, listen, his, his, his career was unbelievably successful as a he was a fantastic coach and a brilliant manager. But I just wished 
Mm. He'd give me the chance to play up front for him. Yeah. He was a wonderful coach and a, and a decent guy. I got on fine with him, but he, he, he was one of those notables. You know, he'd sit behind the bus driver and tell him, no, go left there, turn right, go there. <laughs> and, he, and he genuinely did that. And he knew about all things, um, which none of us know about all things. I felt like saying he should stick to football, but I've had that. <laughs> yeah. But no, no. And Gary Lillikson. I actually worked with him. I actually worked with him a few times in TV after yeah. our career's finished. I had, n- had no problem. And he was fine. And we were fine. And I got his situation. I totally understood. If I were him, I'd probably think, I want to try and get Van Basten rather than me. So, you know, although he didn't, but... Um, it's probably one of those things that probably wouldn't even be a thing now because of the amount because of... Because the amount of phone players you're allowed with. Yeah, yeah, right. Of course. Whereas those days, two. It's That's not many. Yeah. Another player who does know it all, Leo Messi. We have to talk about him oh. because you're here oh. and we know that you oh. love Messi and we love Messi. Yeah. What is it about him? Where do you start? Well, because I, for me, with me, Messi, for me, it's mm. like... There are footballers that do things I've never seen before. So he would... He does was, that four or five times a game. There was a 70-yard pass that someone yeah. hit. Someone hit a 70-yard pass. And Messi controlled it with his instep, but volleyed it upwards, like just as a kind of... I mean, just like Almost like it's spiking it for yeah, beach he's volleyball. He's a blue. I, I, he mesmerises me. I, I, I watch him. And there's obviously debates and stuff about who's the best and this and that and the other, and which are kind of futile in many ways, right. because... Things change, time changes. I never thought I'd see anyone that came close to Maradona. Um, and But with Messi, just by the, the numbers, the longevity, the amounts of things he's won. I mean, I know people say Ronaldo's done similar things, and he has. And he, in terms of goal scoring, you can make a comparison. But in terms of giving joy and watching him as a footballer, there's no comparison. And that's, you know, that, and that is a fact. I don't know any top footballers unless they're his mate yeah. um, that would, would actually put him ahead of Messi because Messi's, Messi does stuff that, that is impossible every single game he'll, he'll wriggle out of circumstances he plays like he's watching from above right right it's, it's as oh, because and I've watched from above Barcelona play many times because when you do that, their studio up there is in the heavens yeah yeah <laughs> and so you look and it's actually quite a good view to see Messi because I think that's the view that Messi somehow has yeah. of himself because how many times have you seen him in situations where you think can't get out of there and he goes and he's on his way and he's like beating three or four players they're on their backsides and it's and and then his passing ability, he can thread it through the eye of a needle from yeah. and see passes and the needles that moving. you can't needles even moving. see from yeah. high above the ground. Yeah, and and it it's just takes takes my people go that the only thing they can throw against him really is is well he's never won a World Cup, but a World Cup is a knockout competition that is is precarious. Anything can happen and go wrong. I mean, or he's not won a Cup America. He's been in two or three finals. He'd laid on an absolute sitter for Higuain if he'd have knocked it in. That it so, whereas Maradona knocked it through for Burichago against right. Germany in extra time. If he'd have missed, does that mean Maradona's then the not best player in the right, world? Right, right. It's a nonsense. It's a nonsense. You could judge players over the entirety of their career, the amount of league titles they win, because that is obviously the consistency. And the numbers. His numbers are... His numbers are ridiculous, not just in terms of goals, in terms of assists. Nowadays, that he takes free kicks, he's, he's just—he's just his whole all-round game is, is is breathtaking. He's not brilliant with his head, but we can forgive him. We yeah, say this a lot, though. Everything you just said, I think we kind of pretty yeah. much agree with. But also, the thing that I find most staggering is that all of that evidence, but it's always yeah. team first still. 
Uh, exactly, he does what's is the right thing. Even if you, I mean, I watch, I watch all Barcelona's game. I watch all lots of Spanish football. I watch mm-hmm. German football. Italian. I watch, I watch a lot. I watch a lot of football. So even at the weekend, um, I don't know. You saw he's, he's he's scored one. Then there's late on in the game, he's got one on one. He knocks in Suarez. Yeah, he's, he does what is he thinks is the right thing. He's totally, totally unselfish. He's not. He doesn't score that many goals in the last minute. Ronaldo's a different animal, and I admire him for it. He's prolific. He wants, you know, it's all about scoring goals for him. He'll shoot from everywhere. He takes all the free kicks at Juventus, even though you've got Pjanic and probably Dybala that both would score way more. But he's prolific. He's driven. He's motivated. He's got the absolute best out of his game. He's a wonderful, wonderful footballer and a brilliant goal scorer. And one of the differences between him and Messi is that you'll find that. I don't know what the statistics are. It's worth looking up at some point. Someone should do it. But goals in the last couple of minutes of games. Whereas when if Barcelona are two three up, Messi's just having a bit of fun. Mm. If if it were Real Madrid or now Juventus two three up, and you'll go ninetieth minute goal, be Ronaldo, um, and because he's got that insatiable, insatiable appetite. He's got it's yeah. you know he's an unbelievably brilliant goal scorer. So that, and I admire that in him. Mm. I admire it that the fact that he'd even get away with it be hard to play with. Yeah, as a as a as a striker, you'd have yeah. to give way a lot, and that you know. Well, like, you saw Rooney do that at United. You know, there was. Yeah. I mean, that was part of the system. Yeah. that Rooney ran decoy a lot yeah. of the time. Yeah. And Benzema does it to an extent. Benzema did it, did it for a long time, yeah. and and um, and he, so he needs that kind of that kind of player with him. Otherwise, it's it's difficult. But. You know, when you've got someone that good, you you, you allow them to. Have you, have you got to know Messi at all? I know he lives up on his mountain top. I met, I met him um, a year or so ago. It was about 18 months ago. In, in They were playing Chelsea in London, and my friend Carrasco I used to play with at Barcelona. Um, he kind of knew I was a big fan. He said, let's, let's try and... Let's try and organise that you can meet. He said, oh, can I bring my boys? Because they, you know, they equally love him. So he said, yeah. And he was, um, so we got to meet him at the, looking the Dorchester or the Grosvenor? No, the Grosvenor. We were staying in the Grosvenor. So we, you know, went along and he was, he was lovely. He was lovely because you sometimes worry, don't you, about meeting well, heroes and stuff. That's the thing with He was great with my boys, gave him loads of time. Suarez was good as God as well. He came oh, in and nice. they're always together. So. They're good, really good mates. Well, yeah, clearly. Was it when Baggio, I think Baggio went to meet uh, Messi uh, what was it I think Badger went to meet Guardiola and Messi at yeah. the new camp and he was like I really enjoyed watching you play and Messi's face Messi's yeah. just kind of like in awe yeah. you know because I think the previous well, that's generation it. you always think don't you you always think that um, other footballers you won't you won't be that bothered right. but I, I was in awe meeting Messi I was excited about meeting Messi and sure. I was you know I played at reasonably high level um, <laughs> this is slightly out of place as a question because you've kind of answered it already I think by analogy but your favourite playmaker to play alongside? Oh, um, well, I've mentioned um, Peter Beardsley, who was a wonderful footballer. And, and I've often wondered why we gelled so well, because we weren't, you know, the archetypal big guy, small guy, like everyone was in those days, because I played with Hayley with England and then Graham Sharp at Everton and mm. um, Alan Smith at Leicester. So I kind of wasn't used to that. But we played a few weeks before the 86 World Cup, I think it was against... Russia, maybe. Um, anyway, we played and kind of hit it off. I thought, hmm, this, he can play. Um, but he was unselfish. He could beat people. Um, he could pick out a little pass. Um, but the one thing perhaps I liked more than anything else, and it brings me back to space in the box, was that he didn't really like going in the box very much. He wasn't, you know, he didn't make runs like I... 
And people, you know, I often say pundits now, and I always feel like challenging them, and I do occasionally, and they go, see, they're not getting enough bodies in the box. I mean, how many times do you hear that, that yeah, cliche? Yeah, right. And I used, when I played, the less bodies in the box, the better for me. Because if you're a striker, the one thing you want is to attack space. The more bodies in the box, the less space there is in the box. So Busy used to hover around the edge of the box, and it was perfect. Because so many times I played with strikers, and they kind of stood where I wanted to go, and you think, oh, get out of the way. So, so it kind of worked for me. And I think my record when I played with Busy is close to a goal a game. So, so in that sense, in terms of actual playmakers, Hoddle. Hoddle was... That's interesting. Passing from a midfield perspective, you know, I could do a little spin and go, and and he just, and even if he hadn't back to you, he'd kind of know, and he could do that little turn, and he hit balls into your path where you think, oh, that'll run away from you, and he used to put like a little bit of in snooker parlance, a little bit of check side on it, <laughs> he could spin it back. He was unbelievably beautiful footballer, unbelievable. Um, Chris, I played with John Barnes as well. Great, wonderful, beautiful footballer. Chris Wadley used to have a relationship with that. You know, he, he was one of those that talk about going one way and then attacking a space and yeah. thinking that most wingers you think, he ain't going to get anywhere near where I'm going to go, but I'll go anyway. But with him, it was always consistently on that spot. Um, and he was one of the major reasons I signed for Spurs. Um, and then two weeks after I signed for Spurs, he, he, he was sold to Marseille. <laughs> it, it was like someone stealing 10, 15 goals a season from me. Oh it was God. like, it was a heartbreak. When Ronaldo, him and Ozil got sold by Madrid yeah. and Ronaldo was just like, what, what are you, you doing? doing? Yeah. <laughs> Why are you doing this? Yeah. All my win bonuses are going yeah. down like gold bonuses. <laughs> I think that's a key thing when other professional footballers come out and say who their favourite player to play yeah. with is. Yeah. Well, you, you gen- I suppose what they'll do is they'll do what I do and use it in a selfish perspective who yeah. helped me the most. But no, yeah. they were the, you know, in terms of... Because it's nice. It's always nice to hear players talk about other players because yeah. that's the stuff we don't hear yeah. as people that never really played professional football. Yeah. You know, who do they talk about? You know, like year in year out, who is everyone talking about and raving about? Yeah. Is there anyone from that era that you really wish you had played with at either club or international? Um, well, obviously um, Maradona. I played with him half a game actually, day yeah. at Wembley and the rest of the oh, world. Oh yeah, yeah. Because I know I was playing for the rest of the world because I was in Barcelona at the time and it was I think it was the English. Leagues, centenary oh, okay. or something like that. Um, so I played with him half a game. That was that was quite something. I played it half a game too with with Kenny Dalglish once. My goodness! Oh, he put me in about three or four times. And I thought to myself, mm, I see why he scored so many goals, Rushy. He's almost slightly <laughs> underrated, I think. Ridiculous. I think that makes sense. I think he's probably the best British player. The, uh, you know, George Best. I. You can only judge people in my time. I only saw the end of George, so it's he was obviously brilliant, but I didn't. Maybe because Dalglish, I think Dalglish achieved yeah. his full potential. I, I think that's the thing, and his strike rate for Scotland was again. Yeah, very he, was, good. he was a wonderful footballer. We don't want, we don't want to keep you running until no. uh, the taxis here. So, just to say, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for your time. No, pleasure. Uh, good, so to much, good to yeah, see you guys. Great. Always a pleasure. No. Thanks um, for coming. So that was our first ever studio interview. Thanks to Gary Lineker for his time. Next week we'll be airing our second interview, which was done with Ian Wright. That was also on the art of finishing. Don't forget, if you do listen on Apple Podcasts, please give us a rating and a review. It really helps us grow the podcast. You can follow Stadio on Twitter at Stadio, on Instagram at Stadio Football. And for now, as we do every show, we're playing out with a different piece of music. Today we're playing out with This Is How We Walk on the Moon by Arthur Russell. Moose and I will be back on Monday. And we'll chat to you then. Bye.
Thank you. 